Welcome back, everyone, to another segment of Rabbi Jeff Spiegel Abishir, where we attempt to understand the meaning behind the instructions of our sages and how it's relevant to our lives today. We do this, of course, using the thoughts of our teachers before us and try to make them applicable to our times. Feel free, please, to contact me with any comments or questions at rjfromlj at aol.com. The Pirkei Avis Podcast is a project of the Intentional Jew Podcast Network, where we actively encourage Jews to think and engage in the search of how to be intentionally Jewish. Check us out on intentionaljew.com. All right, today's Mishnah is chapter three, which is, like I mentioned yesterday, just amazing that we're just we're just moving on and along in this. Um, we're in chapter three, Mishnah two. So the Mishnah says as follows: There are many there, there are many editions of the Mishnah, and I've spoken about this before that there is a split up, a breakdown of the Mishnayos that are different in different places, and um, you know the art school uses one set of um, of breakdowns, which is different than um, there are other other works that are different than what the way my Mishnah is set up is not set up according to that breakdown. So for example, this Mishnah has really what art school has as two Mishnayos. This Mishnah is one Mishnah in, in my edition of the Mishnah. We're going to learn it as one Mishnah. And not only are we going to learn it as one Mishnah, we're actually going to see a connection which the many did not see, and for that reason they split it into two Mishnayos. We're going to see a connection in the whole Mishnah. Actually, a very beautiful Mishnah. Okay, Rabbi Chanina Skana Kohanim Omer. Rabbi Chanina Skana Kohanim says, that having malchus. Now, this is a sentiment that we had seen before, somewhat, but that a person should be mispalel, should pray for shlomishalmachus, for the peace of the kingdom. And that's the reason why we say the prayer for the government, um, the prayer for the welfare of the government in, in many shuls. Um, a little surprising that we don't do it in all shuls, only because the Rabbi Chinina Skanakonim says that we should. In other words, there's still Mishnayas and there's still a certain halachic aspect to this. Um, nevertheless, in many shuls, they do say the prayer for the, for the government. Um, in Israel, for the Israeli government, um, for in, uh, in, in the Chutzlarts, for the Chutzlarts government. I remember, and I don't know if I spoke this out the last time, but there was a fellow in my shul who refused to stand when we made the, the prayer for the welfare of the government. We also said the prayer for the state of Israel. We also said the prayer for the Chayalim. But he absolutely refused to stand during the um, prayer for the government. And this was during the time of the Obama administration. And he said that, I don't support the administration. If I will not, I refuse to stand. So I tried to explain to him that Shul was not necessarily a political forum. That really didn't go over well. It was not really so believable. But I, I told him that, you know, Shul's not a place for politics. But that, but that didn't help. So then I, I told him that you, we're not praying for the government. We're not saying they're, that they're great and they're fantastic. What we're asking God is that God should give them the wisdom to be able to lead us in the wisdom to be able to do the right things, both with the state of Israel and also with the, with the Jewish people and also in the countries, because the country, the economy of the country, the, the, law, the, 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 the legal respect in the country, all of that, we need the country to be strong, because when the country is not strong, what happens? It turns against the Jewish people. And, and just in case we have bad memories and we forget what's happened in every single place the Jews have lived in. And even in the last place in Europe, 
that the Jews were, where we saw that with our own eyes. So good. You know, sometimes we forget things. So God is giving us a little reminder now with, with uh, you know, in America with Black Lives Matter. And I'm not getting into any debates about anything. But Black Lives Matter, the organization Black Lives Matter has as one of their um, one of their fundamental um, fundamental beliefs is the, that the the state of Israel is an apartheid state, and that and that they can't support the state of Israel. You know, you're talking about black lives. You're talking about life in America. What do you care about the Jews? Because ultimately, it all comes back to the Jews. When things aren't aren't straight and settled in the in the rest of life and the rest of existence, so then it washes back on the Jews. So having me spell and by the way, when I explained that to the fellow that that's what we were doing, and I gave him a very beautiful explanation and told him that we're really praying for the government and it doesn't make a difference who the president is. It could be anybody. It could be somebody we support or we don't support, but we're asking God to give them the wisdom to be able to protect the world. It didn't matter. He still didn't stand. And, and he went, when the congregation stood up for those, for those prayers, he would sit down, but he would stay seated there with a, with, with a vengeance. So then I figured when Trump came into power, so then, okay, so, you know, the world is, the, the world has turned his way. And he found problems with Trump also. And the guy just absolutely refused to stand up during this prayer. Okay, we have to pray for the peace of the kingdom. That if it wasn't for the fear of the government, which is so interesting that that's the way that we, um, we characterize it. But if it wasn't for the fear of the government, so then then every person would consume another person alive. Rabbi Hanani ben Trajun, now another rabbi, Rabbi Hanani ben Trajun, we've spoken about, who was the one who was burnt in a Sefer Torah. And when they asked him, students asked him while he was being burnt, they asked him what he saw. He saw the parchments burning, but the osios parchos ba'avir, he saw the letters were flying up to heaven. He says, Shnayim shiyashim veimenein divrit Torah, two people that are sitting together, and there isn't words of Torah shared between them. Harezem moshav leitzem. So then that's considered a gathering of scoffers. Shenamar, as it says, and they quote a pasuk, uvamoshav leitzim lo yashav, as it says in Tehillim, and in a, um, in a congregation of scoffers I have not sat. And, um, and, that's, the, and, and that's the rule. Aval shnayim shiyoshvim, but two people that sat. The yesh beinayim divrei Torah, and there is words of Torah between them. So then... Shechina Shruya Bineim, the divine presence lives between them. Shenamers, it says, Oz Nibru Yire Hashem Ish El that then the, each man will speak to each other, Vayakshev Hashem, and God will hear. And Vyishma Vikosev Sevizikarni Lefanov, and it will be um, a book of remembrance was written before him about whose fear Yire Hashem Lachoshve Shmo about those who fear God and those who remain aware of his name. This only teaches me about two people. How do I know that even if two people, if one person is sitting and is engaged in Torah, that a Kodesh Baruch Hu God is going to be Koveya Sacher, is going to give him a portion reward for him, Shinemers, it says, Yeshe Badaviyidon Kinatal Alav, that as he sits alone and is silent, it is placed upon him. It is placed upon him, is talking about the divine presence.
If I were to ask you to please characterize this Mishnah, what is this Mishnah saying? So you would say there's really two Mishnahs here. There's the Mishnah about the government, and then there's a totally different thought, which is about two people sitting together and that there should be words of Torah between them. And if there is words of Torah, it's good. If there isn't words of Torah, it isn't. And even one person has to be cognizant of learning Torah. There isn't a part of this Mishnah that jumps at me saying that, there, that this, is, this is a valuable, this is an incredible ethical lesson that I wouldn't have known had it not been in Pirkei Avos. That, that we have to pray for the Shlemish Machos, that's actually not even a hashkaf, it's not even a, an outlook, it's not even, it's not even some kind of philosophy or philosophical, philosophical value. It's just a simple prudent thing, pray for the government so that, so that you're protected. What's it doing in Pirkei Put it in, in a halacha book. Put it in Mishnayis in another place in Mishnah. But what's it doing over here in Ethics of the Fathers? And what are you telling me about two people sitting at a table or sit, sitting down and there has to be between them different Torah? What happens if one of them is an ignoramus, doesn't know Torah? What happens if they have to talk about a business deal? So that's, that's a Moshe Vleitzim? That's considered a, 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 a gathering of scoffers because they have to talk about something else? What about uh, what about the two people that have to talk about that, that have to talk about world affairs or that or the, whatever it is that they have to discuss? What, what's the Mishnah asking me to do or to see or to feel? What kind of person is it asking me to be? One person that's sitting and he's and he's osik betorah. So then God's kovelo schar. Did you notice the subtlety there? What do we say about two people that are sitting and discussing Torah? We said that the Shechina, the divine presence, rests on them. What do we say about one person that's studying Torah? A kishin kepala, a pat on the head. Yeah, it's a nice thing, you know. God's going to be mechalik kovelos chayr. He's going to give him reward. What's what's that? How does that compare to the shechina, the divine presence that sits between two people? And if it's not the same, then why is it in the same sentiment? Why is it in the same mishnah? So I'll tell you an amazing thing that I think is going on in this Mishnah. I think it's one Mishnah. I think that Rabbi Hanina and Rabbi, Rabbi Hanina ben Skana Kohanim and Rabbi Hananya ben Trajon are actually connected at the hip. And that they're really presenting to us a very important model. And what they're presenting to us is, is the understanding of how to create relationships and how ultimately to live in this world. Step number one is having mispalel bishlemishamachus. It doesn't say that you have to be just and that you have to create justice. It says you got to daven for it. Because you have to daven that when a human being that that that, that we understand and that we teach human beings to understand that they need to live with boundaries. That if people lived without boundaries, if there were no rules, there were no laws, there were no boundaries, there was no my property, your property, my life, your life, don't don't encroach in my space because I've got a space and I need to be left alone inside of my space. So then every person, good people, who were trying to just build their lives and further their lives would end up destroying other people. 
If there were no boundaries, the minute you stepped into mine, I would eat you alive. I would destroy you. As when we have boundaries, we end up doing that to other people. That sometimes we smother them to death. Sometimes we completely walk over them because there is no, we don't have in our minds the clear boundaries. We try to teach this to children because it doesn't necessarily come naturally to understand where the boundaries are, to understand that you can't do that to another child. You can't touch another child that way. You can't encroach in another child's life that way. There has to be boundaries. And I think the first part of the mission is teaching us having mispal b'shlemish We have to daven for that. We have to daven that on a secular level, just in a world level, that the world teaches its citizens it teaches the people of the world that you have to live with boundaries. I've got my space and you've got your space. Look, we know that that's not really a big thing in the world in the sense that the only way to do that, the only way to really live with boundaries is to understand the, what's right and what's wrong, what's acceptable, what's unacceptable. In our world, what's right and wrong has become very, very, very blurried. It's very subjective. You know, we discussed, I believe, which now is maybe months ago, which is amazing in the passage of time, but we discussed at the very beginning when we spoke about lawyers and we spoke about judges, we spoke about the concept of the difference between our judicial system and the world's judicial system. And we said that the world's judicial system was based on consequences and that if you, if you did something, you ended up in jail, you would get into trouble, and, and therefore not to go to jail, so then you wouldn't do the crime. But that's not really an effective system, because that doesn't teach me anything about what's right and what's wrong. All it teaches me is about how to stay out of jail. It teaches me about consequences, and about how to guard the consequences, to make sure that these things don't happen. So I protect my life to make sure that the negative things don't happen. But not because the negative things are negative, but because they're going to bring me pain, because they're going to bring me discomfort, they're going to put me in jail. And therefore, when a criminal has to make a decision whether they're going to commit a crime or not, what they're really thinking is, is, is it worth the risk? Is the benefit that I'm going to get from this crime, is it worth the risk and the worth the chance of me ending up in jail? Because if the benefit is greater, then I'll, I'll take a chance on doing the crime. So you haven't really taught me anything. You haven't really rehabilitated me. When you put a person in jail, all you're doing is really, you're just, you're, you're just putting him in there to, to, to sort of suffer for the crime that he did. But you're not teaching him in any kind of way what's really right and what's really wrong. Our system, which is an incredible system, it's almost impossible to punish somebody in our system, in the Torah system. When there is a Sanhedrin, when there is laws, in order to be able to, uh, to, in order to be able to prosecute a person, so then there has to be so many things in place. A person who walks into a room and says, "Everybody down on the floor," and then he shoots somebody. Everybody in the room knows that this criminal shot that person, and you can't prosecute that criminal because nobody saw it because everybody's face was on the floor. It is almost impossible to really prosecute somebody. That Talmud tells us that if a court were to kill somebody once every 70 years, it would be considered a murdering in a murdering court. So then what is the purpose and the use of our system? The Torah tells us, the Torah is replete with warnings. If you do this, mysumas. If you do this, mysumas. If you do this, mysumas. You will surely be put to death. 
We have four different ways of putting a person to death. We have an elaborate execution system. And yet it's almost impossible. It's like grows cobwebs. It's almost impossible to use it. We don't need to use it. Because the purpose of the system is not to carry out the system. The purpose of the system is not to threat either. It's not to, it's not to, cause, it's not to cause us fear that we know that we could theoretically be put to death. It's not about that. You know, everybody knows the famous story of the, the young fellow, the young boy who was in, in yeshiva and he got tossed out of yeshiva. They put him in another yeshiva, got tossed out of that yeshiva, put him in another yeshiva, they got tossed out of that one. The kid was just, they, they couldn't control him. He was, he was an awful student. So the parents had no choice. They sent him to a Catholic school. He became a model student. He became the best kid in the place. His parents said to the kid one day, what's going on? We sent you to yeshivas, the finest yeshivas in the world, and you could do nothing. And now all of a sudden, we sent you to the Catholic school and everything's great. So the kid says, look, I got to tell you, I walked into school the first day and I saw that kid hanging on a wall and I knew they meant business. I wasn't taking any chances. Sometimes we, we understand that we need to see a little bit of a fear factor in front of us to keep us in the straight and narrow. That's not the reason why the Torah warns us over and over again, don't do this because you're going to die. Don't do this because you're going to die. The reason why the Torah tells us the punishments for the things that happen, whether they're going to take place or not, doesn't matter. What the Torah is teaching us is what is right and what is wrong. Understand that if you do this, mice, you must, you could die for this. This is the absolute ultimate of wrong. And that's the system of the Torah. It's not to teach us consequences. It's to teach us what's right and wrong. Once we understand what's right and wrong, we understand what's acceptable, what's unacceptable in an absolute sense, not in a subjective sense, not just in something that is no gaya me, but I understand it in no gaya to my world as it applies to my world. And I understand what encroaching on your life means. I understand what doing something wrong to you means because I understand the value of right and wrong. Once I understand the value of right and wrong, I can build boundaries between us. I can't do this to you, and I expect that you're not going to do this to me. This is right behavior to another person. This is wrong behavior to another person. Once we understand right and wrong, which in essence really was the previous Mishnah, once we understand right and wrong, we understand the value of life, we understand the purpose of life, we understand making life mean something, and we understand to do that. There is a right way and a wrong way to do that. There are boundaries. Now we turn and we pray for them. We pray that the rest of the world understands these boundaries and that the rest of the world teaches what's right and wrong. And it doesn't just happen naturally. We need divine assistance to put into their minds a commitment to right and wrong so that they teach it to their citizens and they teach it to the world. But there is a danger with boundaries. The danger with boundaries is, is that I build my boundaries so tight and I build my boundaries so tall that I leave no space for an interaction with you. And that I live behind my walls and I expect you to live behind your walls. We're going to learn later in the Mishnayos that mine is mine and yours is yours is Midas Sdoim. That's the attributes of Sdoim. Those are the Sodomites because those are, I, what's, what's mine is mine and what's, and what's yours is also mine. That's, that, that's the way the, the, the Sdomites live, but what's mine is mine and what's yours is, what's yours is yours. I want nothing to do with you. This is also negative behavior. 
building a wall so strong and so tall that I live behind my fortress and you live behind your fortress. There's no room for us to interact with each other. And that's why the Mishnah says, no, once you have boundaries now, learn how to integrate them. It doesn't say that they're not learning Torah together. It says they're in Beinayim Divrei Torah. Divrei Torah here is being used in a very loose sense. That there isn't some kind of valuable discourse between them. There isn't some kind of interaction that is a valuable interaction. So then that's called a Moshev Leitzim. Why a Moshev Leitzim? Why not just selfish people? Why not just closed off people? Why are you calling them a of Leitzim? Because what's Leitzanus? Leitzanus, scoffing, is making fun of the system. It's saying that the system, has, the system is flawed. The system is a joke. And by not utilizing the system, the system is there to, to, to benefit us. The system is there to bring us together. The system is there to make us interact with each other. And when we're saying, no, I'm going to use the system not to interact with each other. I'm going to use the system to its end, to its ridiculous end. I'm really calling the system ridiculous. I'm really, I'm really looking at the system and I'm scoffing. I'm making fun of the system. But... Shnayim, when you have two people that but two people who have boundaries and also have interactions, they know how to utilize the boundaries to enhance their relationships. So then, that brings the divine presence into this world. Two people, two people that know how to interact healthily, two people that are functional. Two people that have a relationship, that's what builds the entire world. But you might think that only attachments then are purposeful. That the world is based on two people, on unions, on, 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 on people coming together with each other, and therefore a single, that's also must be like scoffing, like making fun of the system. Comes along the Mishnah and tells us, no. How do you know that even one person who's got his mind screwed on, on straight, he's osake b'torah, he's not learning Torah, he's osake b'torah. When we make a bracha in the, in the morning, we don't make a bracha on Torah, make a bracha of Osek Torah. We make a bracha about involvement in the Torah, that even when I'm at work, I'm involved in the Torah. Even when I'm shopping, I'm involved in the Torah because I'm living a certain kind of lifestyle. So Echad, one person, who's living that kind of lifestyle, he's doing it alone right now, but he's developing self. He's building himself so that he can get together with others. HaKadosh Baruch Hu God sets up schar, sets up reward for him. He establishes reward for him. And where is that reward going to be? Actualized when he comes together with others, when he actually attaches with others. But even when you're alone, you need to be developing yourself to the type of person that is attachable, to the type of person that is able to make relationships, to the type of person that's able to set boundaries but also be able to know how to live with inside of those boundaries, how to operate inside of those boundaries. And what this Mishnah is teaching us, it's teaching us how to be a citizen of the world. You have to know the difference between right and wrong. You have to know the boundaries that exist in the world. 
You have to be able to know how within those boundaries to have relationships. But you also have to know how to develop yourself to be a person that is capable of maintaining these kinds of relationships, that's capable of building boundaries that are healthy and to be able to learn how to operate within those boundaries. I feel like there's a little progression that's going on in the mission, which is going to become clearer as we go on, as the days go on. But we started off first in this parak of understanding what the purpose of life was. Once we understand the purpose of life, we can step inside of life and we can understand how to be a citizen of the world. And then the next Mishnayos will see the stages that we go to, which are fascinating. Okay, beautiful.